All right, good morning. Okay, thank you guys again for joining us. Thank you, Grace, for leading us in worship. Um, I just love every one of those songs, and so that was really fitting for where we're at this morning. Um, but just really quickly before we start, there are a couple uh, just things I wanted to remind everyone about, a couple of events that are happening this week. Um, this Wednesday at 5.30 will be family night, and so we've got a meal that we're going to all join together in, eating and having a good time together, and then following that meal will be in here in the, in the worship center, and we'll have a time with the students of just um, a lesson and hearing from God's Word together. And then following that time, uh, at the end of the night, we will gather around our students and pray for them because the very next day for most of our students on Thursday is the beginning of school, which I know they're all very, very excited about. So uh, we just want to make sure that we're sending our kids out, right, into uh, the school system. So we're going to pray for them. So I encourage you to be here for that. Uh, second, on that same evening at 6.30, uh, we'll be having a new members class. And so if you are interested in becoming a member here at this church, or if you've been here for a while, uh, you have questions about FBN, or if you want to get to know us a little bit better, um, I would encourage you to attend that. That's at 6.30 this Wednesday. Pastor Brett will be leading that. You just want to make sure that, you'll contact, that you contact the office and let them know that you'll be attending or that you're interested in attending. And um, that way we can have, you know, we usually have snacks or drinks or that kind of thing at that class. And so that would be a good thing for you to be at and then let us know so we know how to prepare. But like I said, both of those things are coming this week on this Wednesday. So be sure to mark your calendars or do what you have to do to make sure you have that time carved out. Um, but before we kind of jump into our text, let's pray together before we get started and then we'll jump in. Um, Father God, I'm just thankful, Lord, for this morning, thankful for um, the opportunity that we've already had just to glorify you, to lift up um, your name and to just sing your praises, God. I'm just so thankful, Lord, um, that your faithfulness, God, has brought us to where we are now, um, that your faithfulness is something that um, reigns supreme, Lord. And I just pray, God, that, um, that you would speak to us now through your word. Would you help us to, um, to learn what you have for us? And would you rid our hearts and our minds of whatever distractions or anything that would hinder us from receiving from you this morning? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So when I get home from work, uh, I know that the day could have gone a multitude of ways for my wife and kids at home. Um, it could have been a, great, been a great day. My kids could have been angels, and I'll walk into, um, you know, just a blissful home where everything is wonderful. Um, and I also know that on any given day, I can walk through the door, and World War III could be launching in my living room. So it just depends on the day and the hour and what's going on. But... I've been trying for a long time now to come in and be whatever's needed of me at the time. And I know when I say that, Grace is probably like, okay. <laughs> but it has been something that I've been mindful of and have been working on for years, it feels like. And I admit it doesn't happen as often as it should. Uh, if I'm being honest, it takes a lot of mental and physical energy to come home and engage at the level that's needed. And uh, often what happens and what I feel like happens to most people coming home from work is that we have this desire just to come home and do nothing and rest and recuperate uh, or do whatever, speak to no one, see nobody, and just rest. But we know that that isn't an option that we really get, right? Especially as parents or, or if you have a spouse at home. Even though we still choose that option, it isn't one that's laid out for us to take, right? We really need to enter in. Uh, one of my sons has been recently calling me every day just to talk to me, and I love it. I think it's precious just to tell me about his day or to simply uh, hear my voice. And it always ends, though, with, well, when are you coming home? 
And do you have to work? <laughs> do, you have to, do you have to do what you're doing? And really, he's just letting me know, like, hey, when you, when you get home, this is my expectation, right? We're hanging out. I'm waiting for you. And then it's like every hour, hey, where are you going to be? Where are you at? You know? And I love that. And I think it's awesome. But even though I know that there are times where I come home and I can still let my attitude be completely selfish. I could just come home and, and sit on the couch and say I'm tired and that I'm resting and that I'll hang out with you later. And I do that more than I'd like to admit. Um, or I could be present and hang out with my kids and spend time with my wife and just enter in at the level that I need to enter in at. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm forcing myself to be tired, right? I'm not just pounding energy drinks on the way home, making sure I'm amped up, ready to go inside the house. That'd be really unhealthy also, but it's just not what you need to do. It's okay to be tired. Being tired is fine. You're allowed to be tired, but our families and our children are worth going the extra mile for. It's worth being present and attentive for. And so in our passage, we see a somewhat similar situation, kind of an interesting situation unfold between Jesus as he's retreating to get some rest and then this kind of divine interruption from this Gentile woman. So before we kind of unpack our text, I want to invite Lauren Foxworthy up. She's going to read our scripture for us. It is Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. And as she makes her way up here, would you, uh, if you're willing and able, would you stand for the reading of God's word? Good morning, Lauren. He got up and departed from there to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, but he could not escape notice. Instead, immediately after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she was asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, let the children be fed first, because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she replied to him, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, because of this reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. When she went back to her home, she found her child lying on the bed and the demon was gone. Thank you, Lauren. All right, you guys can have a seat. So over the past two weeks, as a church, we've been looking at verses 1 through 23 in Mark chapter 7. Pastor Adam and Pastor Brett both took us through verses 1 through 23. And we've really covered kind of a major theme of asking God to search our hearts and to reveal anything that is unclean within us. Right, to show us exactly what we have within us that is unclean and then how to get rid of it and that it needs to go. And so what we've uncovered is this revealing nature uh, when it comes to our um, righteousness or that, you know, our, our clean versus unclean is that it's not the external but the internal that matters. Verses 20 through 23 reminds us of this. It says, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of, the pe out of people's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual moralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of these things come from within and defile a person. And so it says it right there, for from within, out of people's hearts. And so it's the heart. And remember what the Bible typically is referring to when it speaks about the heart is really the core of who you are. It's not just emotional stuff, but the core of who you are, the very essence of you. It's your heart that it's referring to. 
And so just for context, this section is started out as a conversation with the Pharisees that Jesus was having. A group of men were, uh, who were charged with the teaching of God's word, right? And pointing others to God. He, they were the religious authority figures of the time, the Pharisees were. But these men were so focused on the wrong things. They were so concerned with the external matters, right? They put more stock in the things they did rather than why they did them. And they took that attitude and they made it prescriptive for anybody who would follow God. And so if you were a Jew, you were to follow the law, but it wasn't just the law that was given by God through Moses, but the law that was edited and expanded upon by the Pharisees. That was what they held them to. And it was very strict. And these men had come to positions of power and it had gotten them so far off. They were so off base. So Jesus has this teaching about these things that are unclean and things that are clean. And in speaking of the Pharisees, he quotes this prophet Isaiah. And he says, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites as it is written. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines human commands. And again, we see Jesus referencing the heart. Their heart is far from me. All of this to say that Jesus cares deeply about the heart, quite contrary to what the religious leaders have been teaching for so long and what the Jews had been learning from these teachings for so long. They had believed for so long because of these teachings they had. Now, all of this recap is to really set us up for some context, right? It is important for us to have the full picture of what's going on all around our passage in order for us to fully grasp it. And I know it's kind of our fashion here to kind of move at a snail's pace through books. And so we've been in this chapter for a while. But if you can remember, all the chapters previous, Jesus has been working really hard. He's been hard at work with what he's been doing. So very briefly, I'd just like to do a quick flyover of all that's taken place since Jesus has kind of launched into his earthly ministry. This isn't an exhaustive list. This isn't like every single thing, it's just some stuff that he's been doing. So he's healed the sick. He's healed many people, many sick people. He's calmed storms. He's cast out demons. He's raised the dead back to life. He's lost loved ones, right? John the Baptist was beheaded and that was his cousin. He lost loved ones. He's constantly met by crowds and crowds and crowds of people and never one time does he send them away. He actually has an encounter when he tries to get his disciples to actually retreat and get away for some quiet time, a moment of rest. And he's again met by the multitudes of people. And the Bible tells us that he has compassion on these people. And then he goes to feed them. There's 5,000 men with their families that he ends up feeding with his disciples. And then after that, he sends his disciples ahead of him to, and he finally retreats and gets some time, some solitary time with the father, which we know that he likes to do. He likes to retreat to the quiet place with his father. But then he sees his disciples in a, another storm and he walks out on the water to them and he calms the sea again and then he crosses it in the boat. And as soon as they get out of the boat, People recognize that Jesus is there, and yet again, there's another mass of people, and all throughout the countryside, people are bringing their sick and the lame out to be healed by Jesus, which he does for them. And that brings us really to where we are now and where we finally see him. So I know that if that were me, if I was on that journey, if I were Jesus, I would be beyond exhausted. I would die from exhaustion. Uh, I would just be killed from it. 
And so having been working nonstop, we have to remember he is God. He is also man. He's also human. He's also capable of being tired. So he withdraws from Israel, which that's an important note. This is like one of the only records we have of Jesus withdrawing himself from the borders of Israel. And why is that important? Well, what this is not is Jesus starting his like ministry and missionary trip to the Gentiles. That's not happening. Not yet. And I think at base level, he was just going to get some rest, to get some solitary time with the Father. Everyone knew him in Israel. I mean, that's, if you look at every single chapter back, everybody knew him. Everybody had known where he was going to be, and it was like he couldn't escape the mass of people. But the place that he chose to go, it wasn't just random, and it wasn't without complete intention. We know that's how Jesus operates. So the city of Tyre, it was a pagan place. It was notoriously considered by the Jews as an unclean place. And no Jews would be following him there except for his disciples. And how ironic, after speaking to uh, the religious leaders and teaching on things that were clean and unclean, is it for a Jewish man, because Jesus was a Jewish man, to go somewhere unclean when there is such a sensitivity to that matter? And so Jesus goes to a house, and the words that we read in Scripture are pretty plain. It says that he did not want anyone to know it. He did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence a secret. And you know that feeling? We talked about it, just being tired or being exhausted, and you just want some alone time, and you finally get it, and you're like, take a deep breath, and you just relax, and then like your door busts open, and it's your kids, and they're like, hey, Dad. What are you doing? Let's go outside. Let's go do this thing. Let's, you know, what, what's up? You know, and you're like, I'm just so tired. Leave me alone. <laughs> and that's why Jesus is so frustrated and rebukes this lady. No, I'm just kidding. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. Uh, he has never been frustrated at any point by any of these unforeseen interruptions. He's, he's not been frustrated in the least. And actually what we do is we get to look uh, a little bit closer. If we look at Matthew's account, we'll see a little bit more to the story. And so I'm not going to have you flip there. I'll just tell you about it. But Matthew's account, his letter was to reveal to the Jews. It was specific to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah they were looking for. Right? And so he words things and includes some different details. He does it a little bit differently um, with that purpose in mind, but it's the same story. And so he says that she addresses him as Lord, son of David, which I think is a very unique and interesting thing that she addresses him as. And she cries out to him and says, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon possessed. And then in Matthew's account, it says that Jesus says nothing, that he just pauses and how many times have we been in that place of, of just going to Jesus and feeling as though we're getting nothing in return or feeling as though it's silent, but she isn't dismayed and she isn't discouraged and she doesn't leave. She stays put. She comes actually and falls at his feet. And this is an interesting scene. Remember, Jesus is a, in a non-Jewish city with a woman who is also not a Jew and she falls at this Jewish man's feet. And she's paying homage and respect to someone that she's never met. Yet she has heard of him and all that he's done, which is amazing because word of Jesus has traveled outside of Israel. It's now making its way to these other places and they hear of Jesus. So that's how she knows about him. But she's never seen him. She's never seen him do anything. It's only been by hearing. But she's pleading with him and begging him, right? Seeing Jesus as the last hope for her little girl. 
And as it, what she does is she sees Jesus for who he is. While just a day or so ago, the religious authorities and, you know, the Pharisees, those should, who should have seen him, they were unwilling to see him for who he was. And this woman who is considered unclean is doing exactly what the others refused to do, those who were considered clean. There was no way they were going to acknowledge him the way that she is. But this answer, the one that we get from Jesus, when he finally answers, it's not one that you would expect. And in Matthew, we get this little bitty uh, 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 phrase that he says. He says, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And then she continues to beg, and Jesus says, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And at first read, you could be like, whoa, hold on a second, Jesus. What are you doing? Why are you talking like that? It seems super harsh. And this passage over time has been criticized as being chauvinistic and slanderous and rude and toxic and that Jesus was being demeaning and that he was insulting this lady. Calling someone a dog was a terrible insult. It still is today. In this time, dogs were mostly feral and scavengers. They were dirty. They weren't clean. But what we know about Scripture is that words matter. And context matters all the more. And understanding and knowing Jesus' character should at least cause us to pause and consider something. This isn't what it seems. Knowing Jesus, and if we read something like this that throws us off, we should be like, well, hold on. What is this really saying? Because I know Jesus isn't this way. What does it mean? What does it mean? And so he was speaking in his favorite teaching style, like a parable, like metaphors, metaphorical language. This wasn't like, uh, you know, so much a poetic story, but rather just a metaphor. He was using words to mean other things. And so wording used here, it's different than what has been directly translated. While yes, dog is the word that we get, it wasn't the dirty stray that he was referencing. It was still in this time common to have house pets. It was still common to have a puppy. They had puppies and they loved them, right? You guys ever been to that pet store down by the mall? You just get to go hold puppies all day. It's like the worst thing you can do because then you're going to leave with one. We've done that before. <laughs> uh, so it's cute. They have the same affection for little puppies. They have that, right? And they were just as cute and adorable then as they are now. But there were still rules for pets in the home. You still had rules just as we do today. You don't give your pets table food, especially while you're at the table. And I did that yesterday. <laughs> but you don't do that because what happens is they don't leave. They just keep begging and begging and begging for more and more. And so... Jesus isn't calling her a dirty dog. He isn't making uh, anything other than the distinction between Jew and Gentile here. And this was a common and known fact. It wasn't shocking. She wasn't like, oh my gosh. Right? And so the children he's referencing are the children of Israel. Those are the Jews. These are God's people from whom the Messiah came and they are his first priority. And for whatever reason, I feel like that's sometimes a hard pill for us to swallow, like the Jews are his first priority. But it's fact, right? Paul reminds us in Romans 1.16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So it's first the Jew, then the Gentile. And that is language used all throughout Scripture. And we are Gentiles, most of us. If not all of us, we are Gentiles. 
and we have been grafted in. Romans 11 verses 17 through 18 are pretty crucial verses for us when it comes to this matter. It says this, now, if some of the branches were broken off and you, though a wild olive branch, were grafted in among them and have come to share in the rich root of the cultivated olive tree, do not boast that you are better than those branches. But if you do boast, you do not sustain the root, but the root sustains you. In other words, salvation comes to us Gentiles from the root of God's covenant with the Jews. We are simply grafted in like wild olive branches that have no historical claim on being God's people. There it is, grafted in. He was sent to show Israel that he was the fulfillment of all the scripture's promises, the fulfillment of all the prophecies, the fulfillment of all that they had been longing for. But after he was resurrected, he immediately says to his disciples, go to all the nations. Now it's time. Go to everyone. So his words then to the lady, uh, to the woman uh, with him, they are not the insult that they appear to be. What he's saying to the Gentile woman really is more like, please understand, there is an order here. I'm going to Israel first. Then the Gentiles later, other nations later. And I love her response because she says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And this is an incredible response that we get from the woman, such an incredible response that Jesus says, for such a reply, you may go, and the demon is now gone from your daughter. Her response was full of humble, understanding faith. What her response says is, yes, I understand. I know that I am not from Israel. I am not a Jew. I am not a worshiper of the God that the Jews worship. I know that I have no place at the table. I accept that as my position. I understand. She isn't offended. She isn't defensive. She isn't argumentative. We don't see any of that in these stories. She shows humility and, we, and she shows faith. She has no claim to the mercy that she's just asked for. She is not one of the children um, of Israel. She isn't even asking for a seat at the table. She's just asking for a crumb. I'll take a crumb. She's satisfied with the crumbs, the leftovers, even less than the leftovers. She is not saying, Lord, give me what I deserve on the basis of my goodness. She's saying, give me what I don't deserve on the basis of your goodness. And it's not until you realize that you have no leverage in your position before God that you will finally begin to understand his voice and his call on your life. Just like this Gentile woman who had nothing to offer Jesus, only to lean on his grace alone. Contrasted or contrasted to the Pharisees who, uh, who are completely self-absorbed and worried about their position and their rights and their power, she is not worried about her position. She is not worried about her rights. She is not worried about her power. She just saw Jesus for who he is, and that was it. There was nothing else. Nothing else mattered. And you do know, like in this story, right, we kind of said it already, but we are this woman. We are all in the same place that she is. We have no claim to the table, no seat with our name on it. 
Nothing we could do would ever bring us to that place no matter how hard we tried. We have nothing to offer. We bring nothing to the table. And that's going to be a phrase that you might get tired of this morning, but it's going to be our main point. We have nothing to offer. We bring nothing to the table. And I feel like a lot of times we act the opposite. We act as if Jesus is getting a good deal with me. <laughs> like, hey, look at me, Jesus. Aren't you proud that I'm not doing all these other things that these other people are doing? I follow you. Look at me. <laughs> it happens a lot. Look at what I bring to the table. Paul, who uh, was someone that we could probably argue actually did bring some stuff to the table, uh, he says this about himself in Philippians 4, or 3, verses 4 through 9. He says, Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks that he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But... Everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith." And though we should be satisfied, even with the crumbs, what we see on this side of the resurrection, on this side of the cross, is that he does prepare a table for us, is that he does invite us to the banquet in heaven. He does have a seat for us. He has given each of us in Christ an invitation. He has grafted us into his kingdom. He has given us a new name, and he has for you and for me so much more than we deserve. So much more than we deserve. And honestly, I want to be like this lady. I want to knowingly come before Jesus as empty as I can, acknowledging that there is nothing inside of me, nothing that could come from me that he would need. I bring nothing to him, nothing within me that could compel him to do or act in any way. But I still offer my whole self and believe in you. She was like, I hear you, and I understand, and I love this about her, but I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> she knew that, she, that, that Jesus was the only one, and I love that. You know why she knew that? She was completely convinced in Jesus. Are you that convinced of Christ? Are you so convinced in him and of him that you are willing to fight tooth and nail just to be with him, to say, I'm not going anywhere, I'm not going away? I'm holding on. And her persistence is convicting to me because I often feel like if I were her in that situation, if I had laid myself out and he responded in the way that he did with just silence at first, that first awkward silence, I'm out. I'm gone. Never mind. Sorry I bothered you. Or we could be offended and at first, again, silence, we could be like, how dare you? How dare you not respond to me? I just put myself out there you know what, never mind, I'll find somebody else that'll help me. We could have those responses. But the attitude that most of us carry is one of self-entitlement, that Jesus 
would owe us a response, but he owes us nothing. It's in that understanding that he owes me nothing, yet he still gave me everything and gave everything for me that we find ourselves at his feet, persistently pursuing him. So I want to follow Jesus like that. I want my faith to be so confident in Christ and who he is that it shapes every part of me, every part of who I am. And that's the call on all of us, right? That's the call on all of us, that we are followers of Jesus. We are his ambassadors. We are his witnesses. We are his disciples. We are his apprentices. We are to follow him, to learn from him, to move like him, to care like him, to speak like him, to love like him. In every essence of the word, to be like him, or the phrase, to be like him. That's the call on our lives. It's to shape every part of who we are. But it often doesn't. We are too busy to be with Jesus. I have too much going on to invest in my relationship with him. I mean, he's already forgiven me, and I've already believed in him. Isn't that enough? Do I really have to spend time with him? Do I really have to talk with him? Do I really need to, like, invest in this thing? I've already said I believe in him. Isn't that good enough? So I don't know. If my kids, whom I love with a love that I can't even describe, told me, Dad, get over yourself. I told you I loved you like 10 years ago. I don't know what the big deal is anyway. I don't know why you're making a big deal out of this. And then they left me only to call me every other year to say I need help. (laughs) Help me. (laughs) I love you. Help me. That would be sad. That would break my heart because that's not the relationship that I want. Right? And so our actions, they prove where our heart is. Your actions display your desires. And in this account, we get a full picture of who we are as believers, right? As believers, we are the woman, right? Humble and knowingly undeserving, full of persistent pursuit of Jesus, knowing that our lives are shown mercy and that we are who we are in Christ only by his grace. So as believers, we model that attitude, right? Humble pursuit of Jesus. And then as disciples, we are to be like Jesus, right? Who has... Uh, in his like, time of trying to get away and, and be away from everything, he is still unbothered by this interruption. He is gracious. He is compassionate. He has uh, just the humility that washes over him, grace for those who don't deserve it. He's humble and he's gentle and he's accessible. And so we see from the woman and from Jesus kind of the entire picture of who we're supposed to be as believers and disciples. And I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know if you're here because someone got you out of bed and drug you here. I don't know if you're here and you've been struggling for a while now and you're feeling as though he doesn't hear you. I don't know if you feel as though you are owed something or you need something better. You feel like you deserve something more from him. Or maybe you're here and you're battling a lifestyle that is just complete escapism. Like every chance you get, you're gone mentally. You're escaping whatever's happening. It's too overwhelming. Right? And you might say, like, Jesus got away. He was the one that was, you know, he, I'm just doing what he did. I just like to, you know, get away. But his getting away was to be with the Father. That was where the great things happened. It was not the same as being overwhelmed and running away to a false reality. That isn't the rest that he promised us. That's not rest at all. Right? Maybe we're too busy and we pack our lives to the brim with things so we don't have to deal with really what's going on underneath. 
So what all of us need, no matter where you're at, before you start to critique yourself or to modify things in your life or before we come up with excuses or complaints or whatever else we could come up with, we need this major, major fact to take root in our hearts. And we've said it a whole bunch of times. We have nothing to offer and we bring nothing to the table. It is the unparalleled grace of Jesus and his grace alone that has afforded us even an opportunity to speak with him. And in our passage, it reminds us of this as we see a Gentile woman with a Jewish man. And right there in their culture, there is grounds for Jesus not to even acknowledge her. But he is humble and he is gracious and he made himself accessible to someone who had no right to have access to him and he did it gladly. It is his grace. And I know we kind of like do sermons here typically by giving you like three points of this and then three response points and all of that kind of stuff on what this shows about Jesus. But I don't have three points of action for you this morning. And really this is more of like a conversation. It feels one way, I know, but I don't have anything other than me pleading with you to just take a moment and see Jesus for who he really is and to look at him in light of all of this and then to ask yourself, is he worth following? Is he worth it to you? Is he worth following? And if your answer is yes, then how does that look? In light of all of this, knowing that I had nothing and I still have nothing to offer him, I bring nothing to the table, yet his grace covers me and he loves me still. What impact does that truth and, and your faith have on your life? So I'm speaking for myself here, but if I'm so convinced of who Jesus is, then there are things in my life that have to go. I've got to shift my pursuits in life. I've got to sit at his feet more. I've got to change the way I pursue him. I've got to change the way I see him and speak to him. And maybe instead of saying, Jesus, fix this. Jesus, look at me, look at me, look at me. Maybe we practice saying, look within me, like we have been doing the past couple of weeks. Maybe instead of constantly coming to him with request after request, which we are allowed to do, we can bring our request before him. Maybe we just need to have some moments where we sit and listen quietly. Right? We still make our request, but the point is that you're not the point. He is. He is the object of our faith, not us. And maybe it looks like putting in as much effort to pursue Jesus as we do to pursue the hobbies and passions that we so greatly enjoy. Are you willing to fight against all that stands in the way in order to be with Jesus? Again, is he worth that? And I will say this in considering Jesus. He considered the cost and he gladly, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross so that we could know him and be known by him. And he saw you for who you were and who you still are, undeserving with nothing to offer. And he said, yep, I love them. Yep. I want them. And then he said, come and follow me. And so if you're here and you're like, I've been doing that. I love him. I feel like I've been pursuing him faithfully, but it feels like radio silence. Don't leave. Don't leave. 
Stay in the presence of, of Jesus. He is there and he is listening and take courage from our passage in this woman's persistent faith. Don't leave him, right? If anything, let one of us know and we will come alongside of you and we'll wait with you. We'll stand with you. He is not, he is not, not listening. And we see that here. And lastly, we're going to go into a time of communion here shortly. But if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, then you sit in that place that we covered moments ago, the same seat that we all sit in, only the offer is for you to have, isn't for you to have some crumbs, right? It's an invitation to the table now. You have been invited. The offer is of salvation, for having your sins forgiven, to live in the freedom and love of Jesus, to experience the mercy and grace day in and day out that he has for you. All of that is yours if you simply believe and call upon the name of Jesus to save you. And so simply tell him this morning that you believe and that you want to follow him. You need to do that today before any more time passes. And lastly, as we Think about school starting, and as we think about all that the school year brings, I know a lot of us are parents in here. Wrestle with this thought of pursuing Jesus when it comes to committing your life away for the seasons and all of that stuff. You hear it a lot from here, but just think about entering into this school year with a different perspective and a different initiative of following Jesus first. And whether or not that makes an impact on your, on your, on your year or not, it doesn't, you know, that's fine but just submit it to the Lord and listen to what he says. All right, let's pray, and then we'll go into our time of communion. Father God, I'm thankful, Lord, for this morning. I'm thankful for uh, your word and the power that it has. I'm grateful, Lord, for your, your love and affection for us. God, that you made a way available uh, to us, God, that you grafted us in, um, that you've made us part of your family, that you've called us co-heirs with you, God, that you've given us all of it, God when we don't deserve any of it. God, I pray that you'd help us wrestle with um, the attitudes of our heart. Would you convict us for areas where we need to be um, letting go of things? God, whatever pride that we hold on to or whatever we think we have to offer, God, would you remind us that it's nothing and that you are everything? So I pray, Lord, that you would help us wrestle with that this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, church. Um, if you've not um, grabbed your elements, now's a good time to get up and go get them. Um, communion is a celebration for all believers. For those who